If you have your Bible with you this morning, uh, you can open to Zechariah chapter 4. It's been said uh, that one of the most difficult to interpret books of the Old Testament is Zechariah. And as we get further into Zechariah, I am seeing why that is said. Uh, There is much challenge, uh, but uh, as with all of Scripture, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Oftentimes in our study of Scripture, we can go off on rabbit trails on obscure things and pull things out of the text that were never in the text. But when we get to the end of our time here in this text, we'll see that the Lord makes the application for His people then and for us as His people plain today. Last week we were in Zechariah 3 where we saw that uh, glorious vision of Joshua's iniquity being taken away and being clothed with righteousness. And we understand in the light of the New Testament that's a picture of the gospel of our sin being taken away. And he's given that promise of the branch that will uh, come and take away the sins of his people in one day. And here the Lord has a word uh, for Zerubbabel, whereas Joshua was the high priest, Zerubbabel was uh, put in place uh, by Darius to govern uh, the people of God. Zerubbabel was in the line of David, but he does not stand as king in Jerusalem. He stands under the authority of uh, the Medes and Persians. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1. And the angel who talked with me, came again and woke me, like a man who is waking out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on the top of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left, And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. And he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain And he shall bring forward the top stone amid the shouts of grace, grace to it. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. And I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, What are these branches of the olive trees, which are beside the golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. And he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. 
Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, as we come to you, I pray that you would give us understanding to your word, that your spirit would apply it to our hearts, that we would not lean upon our own understanding, but that we would rely upon the wisdom that comes from you, that you would give us a greater appreciation that we in your kingdom do not stand uh, on the basis of our power or our might, but by the work of your Spirit. May we be ever dependent upon that Spirit, and we do pray that if there are any without salvation this morning, uh, that they would be born again by your Spirit, that they would receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, that you would save them in such a way that you would receive all the glory and honor and praise. For this we pray in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. So uh, we come uh, and uh, Zerubbabel is in a slumber. If you remember uh, the first vision, uh, not Zerubbabel, Zechariah is asleep. Uh, He somehow nodded off in the process of all these visions. But if we remember the timing when these visions are coming to him, it's not surprising because uh, these visions came to him in the evening. Uh, So uh, some, for some reason, the night is wearing on him and he has been woken uh, as if from a dream uh, to see a a vision that uh, really bought puts a strain on his ability to understand it. But in the context of this vision, uh, we see three truths that are main and plain to the text. First truth, though, that we see that is clear to the text, uh, despite all the confusing nature of uh, this prophetic vision, is that we are dependent upon the Spirit of the Lord. The the second is that we are not to despise the day of small things, uh, those incremental steps that the Lord uses in the life of his people. And third and finally, that we have a divine supply for our every need. So Zechariah is woken up. uh, He sees this vision of a lampstand, and we understand that that vision, uh, that imagery is used in the book of Revelation to describe uh, uh, the churches, the seven churches in Revelation. Uh, So uh, in a way, this lampstand represents not just the people of God, but the presence of God in the earth. And the angel makes that abundantly clear later on when he speaks of these seven are the eyes of the Lord which search, which range the whole earth. So he sees this vision of the lampstand, the bowls, the seven lamps on it representing the Lord's presence. He sees olive trees which are providing the oil for this lamp so that it has a perpetual light to it. The lampstand that existed in Solomon's temple was a representative of the fact that the people of the Lord were to be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations, a lesson they often forgot. And so Zechariah is looking at this lampstand and he doesn't know what he's looking at. You, know, you, you ever see those uh, pictures on the internet uh, where you have to uh, identify what it is? He sees the lampstand, he knows it's a lampstand, but he doesn't know what it means. He asks the angel in verse 4, what are 
these my Lord. And the angel who talked with me answered and said, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, and this is a response to his question, What are these? What do they mean? What is the significance of these lampstands for your people? You know, what, what am I going to tell your people? Okay, I saw a lampstand and I don't know what it means. What, what does it mean? What word of truth am I going to bring to your people to encourage them uh, in this work of rebuilding your temple? And the angelic messenger answers, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. There has been a temptation and a tendency in God's people all, all the way throughout the Old Testament to rely upon their power, on their might, to accomplish things. And if they found that their power or might was lacking, oftentimes what they would do is that they would find a foreign power whose power and might would match their own and rely upon that, even though the Lord had forbid them from making foreign alliances. The Lord is making it clear that the work he has set before them will not be accomplished by their own strength, their own sufficiency. They might be tempted uh, to uh, curry favor uh, with the Darius the Mede and his uh, royal office, saying, you know, maybe Darius, could you give us some more help, more work, more supplies? Maybe if we have more strength uh, to protect us from our enemies and to provide uh, for this construction process, maybe we can do it in our own power. But the Lord is telling Zerubbabel, this is something you're not going to accomplish in your own power. This is a construction project he's talking about, the building of the temple. And this is all the more true for us in this day and age because we do not build a, a physical temple. The church, the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, uh, Peter describes as being built together as living stones. God has given us a task that we will not accomplish by might or power. We will never use the means and provisions of the flesh to accomplish the work that God has called us to. He has given us a commission, and the Great Commission, that we cannot do in our own strength. Now, Paul, reflecting on the ministry that is given uh, to uh, leaders in the church and of himself in Corinthians, he asks, Who is sufficient for these things? Our sufficiency is it not in ourselves, it is in Christ. We look at a world of darkness, we look at a world full of challenges for the work of the church. We see our society in a great downgrade, and we might be tempted to think, okay, what can we do in and of ourselves to shore up the work of God? You know, maybe uh, we, we can lobby and uh, get the right programs uh, put in place in society and see a change in our society. Maybe we can get the right programs put in place in our church, and those will be the boost the church needs. But the Lord says, not by might, 
nor by power, not, not of anything of man, not anything that we uh, of ourselves can do, but by my Spirit. The Lord is making it clear that His work is always done in the power of His Spirit. And if that was true in the period in the Old Testament, before the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that came about as Pentecost, how much more is it true of the age that we live in? We are utterly dependent upon the work of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that causes our new birth, according to Jesus in John chapter 3. Unless one is born of the Spirit, they cannot see the kingdom of God. Your uh, faith in Christ uh, is dependent upon the Spirit. Our work in evangelism, our boldness and effectiveness is dependent upon the Spirit. We see in Acts uh, where Peter and John are arrested then released after being threatened to uh, uh, threaten and that they should not preach the gospel anymore. And they gather together with the, the church and they pray to God and the room is shaken and they are filled with the Spirit so that they could preach the gospel more boldly. I think we live in a day and time where the church in America has forgotten this. You know, a church is struggling in America today. The answer is, let us find a consultant with the right credentials. Uh, let, let's find the right audiovisual guy, and, and we'll create the right atmosphere. We'll create the right publicity program, and, and then we can turn the ship, and we can change uh, our culture, and we can accomplish the Great Commission. We need the work of the Spirit. We think of, uh, if you've missed Wednesday night, I've been doing a series on revival, and there have been uh, times where the Lord through His Spirit has worked in remarkable and extraordinary ways to revive His work. February 3rd, 1970, God began a great work at Asbury College, uh, uh, leading uh, to the salvation of hundreds and thousands uh, that spread throughout the country. It was a work that no student on campus, no professor on campus, the president at the time that it broke out, he was in Canada and was on his way back when he heard about it. It It's all a work of his spirit. And in our own lives, individually, we are dependent on the work of his spirit. You know, uh, we go to bookstores and there is no shortage of self-help books. But who is the one who works in us? Uh, Paul says, he who began a good work in you will see it through to the day of completion. It is through the work of the Holy Spirit that God works in our lives. It is through the Holy Spirit that we become more like Jesus. God is reminding Zerubbabel uh, that while he might be tempted to use carnal worldly means to accomplish uh, the task before him, then it was a, a great task. You know, they had several years where, where the work on the temple had been stopped uh, because of outside forces. Uh, and there might have been the temptation uh, that, okay, we, we need to build a little militia here so we can get this temple going. Uh, maybe we, if we get a bribe uh, to Darius, uh, we can get the work going. But the Lord is saying, not by might nor by power, but, my, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? 
speaking contemptuously of that rubble pile that was once Solomon's temple, that would have seemed an insurmountable task. Because for Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple, he's got to dig that up, find the cornerstone, the chief stone of the temple that Solomon had laid to begin the foundation anew for the temple. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone. Literally, that's the chief stone, uh, the first stone that would be laid in the foundation of the temple. Amid shouts of grace, grace to it, asking God's blessing on this temple that his people are rebuilding. So Zerubbabel and the people of God are being reminded that what they're doing, if it is of any importance to God, it's going to be done by his spirit. It's going to depend upon him, not their own strength. Next, we move uh, to the danger of despising uh, small things. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever is despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. The Lord is giving a promise to his people that Zerubbabel has begun this work on the temple. He will also be the one that sees it to completion. And that's going to be demonstration of the truthfulness of the prophecy of Zechariah's ministry. The, uh, the, the prophetic word that he's giving to Zechariah is from the Lord in Deuteronomy. There is a clear requirement uh, for prophets uh, that if their word does not come to pass, uh, that they're actually to be put to death because they're a false prophet. And so the Lord is making it clear that whereas uh, his people have had uh, so many ups and downs and slowdowns in the work of the temple, that they're going to see it completed in the lifetime of Zerubbabel. But more importantly than that, uh, that those who are despising uh, the day of small things will see uh, God's wisdom demonstrated. Sand shall also complete it. Then you will know the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever is despised, the day of small things shall rejoice. There is a temptation in our lives, especially in our day and age, where we have this sense of immediate gratification that we want it done now. You know, somebody accepts Christ as Lord and Savior. We expect their life to be cleaned up overnight in an instant. We don't appreciate the many days of small things. You know, imagine uh, these people, some of them who remember the Temple of Solomon, uh, going about the day-to-day drudgery, uh, almost, of rebuilding the temple, thinking, uh, you know, why why can't this be done overnight? Why can't we get this done and over with? Imagine if we are, in our own day and age, impatient with the slow, uh, tedious pace of construction projects from road work and onwards, how much more would they have been disappointed with the slowness and the smallness of the work until it was finished? And then when it was finished, uh, they would be filled with joy? We get that in our own day and age. We, We want something big and epic overnight. Oh, we want to see it all or nothing 
We either want to see a thousand people, another Pentecost, or, or we expect to see nothing. But the Lord's ordinary means of grace in our lives is that he works in small incremental steps in our lives. In the Gospels, uh, Jesus uh, talks about the parable of the kingdom being like a seed sown. And I'll tell you, nothing of lasting value grows up quickly overnight. Plant a mushroom spore in the ground and plant an acorn next to it. And I'll tell you, uh, the mushroom spore will grow up quicker. But the oak will grow longer and sturdier. We should not despise the day of small things. In our own lives as believers, uh, we should not despise uh, the small steps of work that the Lord is doing in our lives. Individually. Because if you're a believer in Christ, He is working in your life. He has begun to work in you. He will see it through to the day of completion. You might not be happy with his progress in your life, but he has a timetable that he's working in your life, making you more like Christ. It's true of the church. Uh, the Lord works in and through the church. We should not despise uh, those small things. You know, when we have the opportunity to share the gospel with just one person, we should see that as a display of his faithfulness in and midst. And it's in the small things that we demonstrate our faithfulness. Or Jesus said that uh, the one who is faithful in lesser things will be granted more. Uh, oftentimes, though, we have our eyes and our minds fixed on bigger and better. When we should be happy and content to see the Lord work at his pace in the day of small things. So we move on to the divine supply. So, in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, oil was often representative of the presence of the Spirit. The Lord has promised that through Zerubbabel, this temple would come, and uh, the attention, again, is focused upon the lamp stand and the lamps. The angel speaks to Zechariah, verse 10, The seven are the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. So the angel is explaining that these lamps represent the presence of God, that God is perfectly present everywhere, perfectly present with his people. Zechariah, still not understanding, asked him, Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered him and said to him, What are these two branches of the olive tree which are beside the two gold pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He sees this vision of the olive trees which are the supply of the oil which keep the lamps lit. They remain uh, the people's connection to their God. Zechariah doesn't understand it. And, and many commentators don't understand it. The, the angel asked him again, do you not know what these are? Almost implying, okay, you should understand what these represent. But he doesn't know, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two. If you, most of your Bibles, you probably notice uh, that there's a little footnote regarding there. Because literally, it does not mean uh, the sons 
the two anointed ones literally means it means the sons of new oil. See, what can happen uh, in translation is if you have an interpretation already in mind, uh, you'll fit your translation to meet your interpretation. And for since about the 500 AD, uh, they had uh, their own interpretation of this text uh, that it was that the two branches signified Joshua and Zerubbabel, saying that Joshua and Zerubbabel were anointed ones, and therefore uh, this text is talking about anointed ones. But it doesn't have anything to do with anointing. First off, second off, uh, Zerubbabel was not anointed. Zerubbabel was not king in Jerusalem. Uh, Zerubbabel uh, was basically a governor for Darius. Zerubbabel was in the employ of the Medes and Persians. He answered to them, so he is not representative of him as a king. He wasn't a king. Zechariah sees these two trees that are the supply of the oil for the lampstand. The perpetual, unending supply of oil which connect the Lord to his people, representative of the Holy Spirit. So it could not be two men, because if these two trees, which are the supply of the people, were Joshua and Zerubbabel, when they died, the oil would run out. Who are these? Uh, Angel says these are the two sons of new oil who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. We understand in light of the New Testament, how how do we come into relationship with the Father? We come into a relationship with the Father, the Lord of the whole earth, through the work of the Son and through the work of the Holy Spirit. How do you come to have the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit in you? Through the work of the Son and sending the Spirit, and through the work of the Spirit coming into your lives. I had to look, uh, I was initially leaning this way in my understanding of the text, and you know, reading a John Wesley's uh, short commentary, he just has a sentence on it, and it says, These are the Holy Spirit and Christ who are in the presence of the Father. What is the supply of our joy, our hope? What is the supply of the Spirit? It is God himself who supplies the Spirit to his people. What are these two branches of the olive tree which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? Where does your presence come to your people from? And we do understand that God's presence in his people come from the Son and the Spirit. Well, we are divinely supplied by God himself. We are not dependent upon uh, humans, uh, uh, no matter how great the leaders are, for our connection and our supply from God. The Lord richly gives of himself to his people. The Lord richly gives his spirit to his people to accomplish the work needed. 
what the Lord is telling Zerubbabel through Zechariah is that he is the supply of his people. And when he clarifies his question, he uses the language of, what are these two branches? When the Lord has already promised that he would send his branch, his servant, behold, I will bring you, uh, chapter 3, verse 8, here now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for there are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. Then he goes on to say that in one day he will take away the iniquities of the land. We don't look for, we don't need a, more programs. We don't need our own strength and might. We are utterly dependent upon God. We are utterly dependent upon the work of the Spirit. You know, we think of Jesus teaching about seeking, knocking, and asking. That is in the context of the Spirit. You know, he asks, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Spirit? We're commanded in the New Testament, Ephesians, we're not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. Because our lives, uh, the work that we do for Christ, is utterly dependent upon the Spirit. And there is no uh, Christian uh, bookstore, Christian product store where we can buy the Spirit. I think of Simon Magus in Acts. Uh, He sees uh, Peter accomplishing all these great works through the Spirit. And he asks, how much do you want for the gift of the Spirit? The gift of the Spirit didn't come uh, from the apostles. It came from God himself. God gave the Spirit. God freely supplies our greatest need in his work and our service to him. He is our supply. He is our source. It is because the, the Spirit's work in our lives that we are in Christ Jesus. It is because of Christ's work in us that we have been adopted as children of the Father. Everything that we need is supplied for us by God himself. We have a divine, unfailing supply. If what we needed was dependent upon a certain leaders, when those leaders died, we would be left without. If the people lords that need, if that oil, which was representative of the Spirit of God's presence in their life, was dependent upon Joshua and Zerubbabel, when they breathed their last breath, the people of the Lord would have felt they had no hope. But their hope is in heaven, in these two sons of new oil who stand by the Lord of the whole earth, who supply their every need. And we as believers in Christ have our every need supplied by the Lord. We don't accomplish what we're called to accomplish. The upbuilding of the body, the upbuilding of the temple in our strength and power. We will never have the strength and power in and of ourselves to do what God has called you to do. 
in any area of our lives, if you're a parent, you're called in the Word to train your children up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. You cannot do that in your own strength and power. And I think if you're, you're a husband, the Word of the Lord calls you to love your wife as Christ loves the church. We see all these things that the Lord has called us to do, and we have a temptation to look at ourselves uh, and as having the power to do it. We can't. He can. And He has promised His presence and power in our lives. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. It is working in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. The limitless supply of His Spirit in your life. Made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a believer, I tell you, no, no matter how much you try, no matter how hard you try, it, you'll never be able to self-improve yourself to heaven. If you make it to heaven, it will be because you have been saved by His grace, because you've been born again by His Spirit, not by your power, not by your might. You will not climb the ladder to heaven. He will bring you there through the work of His Spirit and through His Son, or you will not go and have a time of invitation. And I, I ask you as we come to this time of invitation, are you resting and depending upon your power and your might to have your standing before God? Do you think you're going to uh, appease and do what God has called you to do through your power and your might? Do you think you're going to use your power and your might to make your way to heaven? Do you think you're going to use your power and your might to transform the community around us? Or are you depending upon His Spirit? which he freely gives to all those who ask. I tell you, if you're not a believer this morning, if you ask, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. His Spirit will come into your lives and transform you and empower you to be a light and a witness in this community. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the gift of your Spirit, a gift you give freely. We do pray that you would open our eyes to our great dependence upon your work in our lives through the Spirit. We thank you that it's freely given, and we pray that if there are any who are without Christ this morning, that uh, through the work of your Spirit, that they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved, because your Word says no one uh, can declare Jesus as Lord apart from your Spirit which means apart from your Spirit's work, uh, there will be no genuine salvation. And so we pray uh, that men and women would see their need for salvation and call upon you and be saved. And that we as your people would look to you as our constant source and supply of our every need. For this we pray in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.